Detective Inspector Gary Jubelin has spent more than 30 years going to court to lock up criminals. Now the 57-year-old was on the other side, heading to court himself after being charged with a number of misconduct offences over his role in the William Tyrrell investigation. In this episode, we'll break down those charges and find out what it means for the ongoing case to find William and the upcoming coronial inquest. For William's family, the ongoing silence is deafening. Almost five years since he disappeared that morning in September 2014, there are still no answers as to exactly what happened to him and where he may be. Now, for the first time, William's foster parents reveal the extra pain they've been forced to endure from online abuse and threats. Police have ruled Jane and Peter out as suspects, but some still believe they were somehow involved in their foster son's disappearance. I'm Natasha Belling. And I'm Leah Harris. This is Where's William Tyrrell? In regards to the charges, I've pleaded not guilty to all four charges. Those charges relate specifically to me carrying out my duties investigating the disappearance of William Tyrrell. I'll repeat that because I think it's very important everyone understands what these charges relate to. They relate to me carrying out my duties investigating the disappearance of William Tyrrell. That was former New South Wales detective Gary Jubelin as he faced a Sydney court. He pled not guilty to the misconduct allegations over alleged illegal recording during the William Tyrrell investigation. Leah, you were at court. Tell us what it was like. It was actually unlike anything I've ever seen before, having covered a lot of court cases in my career, particularly in Sydney. Gary arrived uh, flanked by some very high-profile supporters. Among those was former Deputy Police Commissioner Nick Caldas. He was also the former head of the Homicide Squad, the former head of the Gang Squad and Deputy Commissioner of Field Operations. So a very high-profile, powerful supporter there. Another man who was with him was Ange Mamolo, who was best known for leading the investigation into the Lint Cafe siege in Sydney. He was also with a man by the name of Paul Jacob, who was a former homicide detective as well and also worked on some very high-profile cases. So they also walked in, obviously, with Gary's barrister, another high-profile person, uh, Margaret Carnine, who I've mentioned in a previous episode, was a former Crown prosecutor and now representing Gary um, as his defence barrister. And when he arrived, there was actually a large contingent of supporters there waiting for him, mostly consisting of homicide victims' families who'd come out to support Gary. And they actually cheered him on as he walked in, yelled words of support, and then followed him into the courtroom. And with the large contingent of journalists, as well as the supporters and everyone who, you know, came along to the court case, the courtroom was packed. It was standing room only. People were had to wait outside. So it was quite chaotic in there. And the hearing itself was actually very short. It was just a mention. Um, Margaret Cunning entered a not guilty plea on Gary's behalf and it was over within five minutes. Everyone then filed outside uh, and that's when Gary made a statement. Leah, we'll get to Gary's statement in just a moment and also break down the specifics of these charges. But I want to ask you about the significance of the high-profile former police officers that were accompanying Gary into court because, as we know, Jane and Peter, William's foster parents, have made pretty strong and damning allegations against the police force, alleging that Gary was taken off the William Tyrrell investigation primarily because 
of internal fighting within the New South Wales Police Force and what they allege are political agendas. This was very significant because these are some very powerful people, some very influential people. Even though they're not police officers anymore, they still do remain very influential and very high profile. And this is really indicative of the division in the police force when it comes to Gary Jubilin. There are clearly people in the police force who believe that Gary has bought this on himself. That's why he has been charged. But it shows that there are also people in the other camp who support Gary and do believe this has been a witch hunt. And a lot of those people are also very influential and high profile. And I think that's what they were trying to show by coming out to support him. And as you mentioned earlier, Leah, Gary Jubilin pled not guilty to those four charges. Yes, and he walked out again with those supporters um, beside him and made quite a lengthy statement, which was the first time he has spoken since he was charged with these offences. Well, this is not what I anticipated. I'd be standing out the front of a court defending myself about criminal allegations. So life does take some twists and turns, and this has certainly been a turn. I'd firstly and most importantly like to thank the support I've had since these allegations first came to light, in particular the support I've had from uh, the families of victims I've dealt with in the past. It's been uh, overwhelming support and it's quite humbling and I don't think they fully appreciate how much uh, that support uh, helps me in this situation. In regards to the charges, I've pleaded not guilty to all four charges. Those charges relate specifically to me carrying out my duties investigating the disappearance of William Tyrrell. I'll repeat that because I think it's very important everyone understands what these charges relate to. They relate to me carrying out my duties investigating the disappearance of William Tyrrell. In essence, I've been accused of recording four conversations. Those conversations were conversations I had with a person about the disappearance of William Tyrrell. I had a lawful right and an operational need to record that conversation. And I'll repeat that. I had a lawful right and an operational need to record those conversations. I have made no attempt whatsoever to conceal the fact that I recorded those conversations and police were aware of that. Now, the court documents revealed it's alleged Gary recorded one conversation at Parramatta on the 3rd of November 2017 and three conversations at Kendall, two on the 5th of May last year, and one on the 28th of December. But can we break down these charges and explain he is alleging that police were aware that Gary had recorded them and he had a lawful reason to do so. So what are the basis of these charges? So the charges relate to breaches of the Surveillance Devices Act, which basically says that you can't record a conversation without both parties consenting. However, there are exceptions to that and this is the defence that Gary will um, put up in court and when he's talking about having a lawful reason to do so. That relates to having a lawful reason to record a conversation if you feel that you need to to protect your own lawful interests. Leah, it was a brief mention in court and as you've mentioned, Gary Jubilin set to go back to court in September as this case continues. But the big question, of course, for Jane and Peter, William's foster parents, is can Gary attend the coronial inquest, which is set to start next week? So as a private citizen, I understand he can and likely will attend the coronial inquest. The question remains, though, whether he will actually be called as a witness, whether that's by the coroner, by the council assisting or by the other parties involved in this inquest, that remains to be seen. Leah, let's recap. 
William Tyrrell was a three-year-old boy who disappeared in 2014 from his grandmother, foster grandmother's house in Kendall, which is a regional community in northern New South Wales. Take us through what Gary's role was in that investigation. So Gary took over about six months into the investigation, uh, took over from the previous investigator who had retired and he led the investigation for around about four years, looked into a number of persons of interest. He ruled out both sets of parents, the foster parents and the biological parents. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, there were a number of persons of interest that Gary looked into. The case then went to a coronial inquest, which started earlier this year. However, several months before the inquest started, Gary was removed from the investigation after allegations of misconduct. Those allegations were then investigated. While that investigation was ongoing, Gary then retired, resigned from the police force and has since been charged with those criminal offences. Gary, for the first time, mentioned that considering developments within the New South Wales Police Force, he believed his position, although he was lead investigator in the William Tyrrell case, was untenable. Yeah, I can only assume that uh, it became obvious he was never going to be put back onto the William Tyrrell case and no longer felt that there was anything more he could do in the police force. Sadly, I've retired from the New South Wales Police. Unfortunately, it's not what I wanted to do, but the manner, as a direct result of the manner in which management treated me after these allegations surfaced, my position in the New South Wales Police became untenable. I was not allowed to carry out duties. I was taken off the investigations I was leading and I could no longer continue to support victims and lock up the bad guys like I've done throughout my career. I have absolutely no animosity in regards to the New South Wales Police. It's been a privilege working with the hard, dedicated police officers of New South Wales. Um, I will miss being a police officer, but I'm sure they'll continue on with or without me. Thank you very much. I'm not broken. I, I have done nothing wrong and I will continue to uh, defend myself in regards to this. I'm not going to say anything more. I think you can tell uh, how I feel about this whole situation. I think it's an incredible waste of time, but uh, the courts have to uh, go through due process and I've got to respect that process. So thank you very much. As you can hear from Gary there speaking outside court, he is adamant that he has no animosity towards the New South Wales Police Force. This podcast has been based around giving a voice to William, but also William's foster parents, Jane and Peter, who claim that the investigation into their missing son has been derailed by Gary being pulled off the case. Yeah, and as they've spoken about, particularly in the previous episode, they feel that this is the result of political agendas and infighting and they certainly do have a lot of animosity towards the police leadership. I'm angry and I'm really angry because police are playing with William. Yep. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what impact it has to us. It matters to William. Yep. The only people who are fighting for William is us and Gary. Yep. That's it. And I am incredibly angry and I want them to know and I want the public to know we are never, ever giving up on finding out what happened to William and the people who can do that are police and they're doing nothing. Nothing about it. Nothing. It's disgusting. These sentiments and fears that Jane and Peter have so bravely spoken about were certainly echoed at court. A number of supporters of Gary 
had turned out. And we must remember that Gary has been a serving police officer for more than 30 years and has been critical in a number of breakthroughs of major murder investigations. Yeah, and so the the cases that he has worked on, and there have been many, many of them were high profile, and a lot of those family members of the victims were there. Hey, Gary. Hey, Gary. That were the cheers we can hear there of the supporters outside for Gary. Tell us about the Levison family and their relationship with Gary. So Mark and Faye Levison organised what they called the Peaceful Show of Support. They have known Gary for quite a few years now. Their son Matthew disappeared in 2007 and they, in their words, struggled for quite a few years to get police to really um, pay attention and work hard to give them answers about what happened to their son. And it wasn't until Gary Jubilin came along that that finally happened. Their case went unsolved for almost a decade until some unprecedented legal manoeuvres by Gary um, led to the discovery of Matthew's remains in the National Park, which then allowed them to finally put him to rest and have some closure. Interestingly, Mark Levison was actually caught up in this investigation into Gary's alleged misconduct. When police were looking through Gary's phone, they actually found a recording of a conversation he had with Mark Levison and police came to interview him about that and he told them that he had actually given his consent to have that conversation recorded. So that was then dropped. Um, But they have always been massive supporters of Gary and that's why they organised this and I spoke to Mark and Faye about that. So you've known Gary for quite a few years now. Why are you here today? Gary stood by us and was so loyal to us for so many years. We owe him this because uh, he was there for us, now we're there for him. Uh, he's the person that uh, you want always in the trenches with you and now we're there, we're there at Sandal to look after him. So I understand that when Matt went missing, you guys struggled for a long time to get anyone in the police force to really pay much attention until Gary came along? We did. Um, we went back to the police force uh, seeking answers, uh, seeking some kind of justice. Uh, we were, had Gary placed in a case for a short period, uh, then Gary left the police force. And in the year he was off, none of the senior detective looked after the case for us, who did nothing. Gary came back after a year and uh, took it by the book, book, book by the horns and, and ran with it. And uh, we saw where it went. What do you think you would have done without him? Right now, without Gary, we'd be out ourselves in the National Park each weekend still looking for Matt, digging, um, checking intel um, and searching for our son. Now, I understand you've been caught up in this. What is your involvement in it? Initially, when the charges were first made public, uh, we came out and supported Gary quite heavily in the media, and I had a phone call from the police professional standards section, and they wanted to interview us, and uh, I assumed they were coming to get a reference for Gary, and that was far from the actual reason. Uh, they said that my voice was on Gary's phone as well, and uh, it appeared that my voice was on Gary's phone in February 2018. Uh, inquest finished December 17. And so at that point, our matter had concluded. Um, we're a friend of Gary's, he's been at Matt's funeral, we're watching him box at Police Legacy, raising funds for the police force. And uh, we call Gary a mate. And uh, I've said to Gary over the years, as I'm an accountant, if ever you need hands with the personal matter that he had, uh, give me a call. He did. And I did some research and got back to Gary and said, well, I want to give you some detailed information here, so uh, I advise you to record it or take him down. So he did that at my suggestion. Why do you think these charges have been brought against him? Oh, my theory is petty jealousies, um, now more senior police who may have uh, ambitious tendencies. Um, it was mentioned on your podcast last week. 
that um, often the go chip person in investigations is Gary, not his seniors. Are they jealous? We don't know, we do smell around. These charges brought against him, it's 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 wrong. It's it's a beat in my view, it's a beef up. Uh, a person of his standing, he's got the highest integrity, um, he's he's beyond reproach in his honesty. Um, he's, he gave us back our son where no other cop wanted our case. There was another detective at the time, um, early in the investigations. Um, we met with Gary and another detective and they then had a homicide with Willing. And um, this detective was put in charge of our case um, as, as Gary was going on a 12-month sabbatical. And in that 12 months, we rang, we sent emails with information and we never got one reply. Gary came back, Gary gets given the case and away it went. And as you, everybody's aware, we got our son back. He's one of these cops that puts his heart and soul into his work and he thinks we're, that, we're outside the square. And if Gary thought he had a good reason to record these conversations, well then he did. And as he said, he didn't try to hide it. So why, why try and bring him down? Why try and bring a good cop down that families have trusted? Where do you think you and Mark would be today if Gary hadn't taken over your son's case? Truthfully, Mark and I would be still out there in the bush digging. We'd be out there every weekend again, marking off places, re-looking. We wouldn't have our son back. They didn't want to touch our case. Apart from the Levisons, there were also a number of other supporters that turned out at court. Tell us about those families and their relationship with Gary. So as we've mentioned, Gary worked on a lot of homicide investigations throughout his career. Many of those were high profile and one of those was the murders of three Barraville children, um, which remains unsolved, but Gary's dogged um, work on that case changed double jeopardy laws in New South Wales and that fight for justice for those children remains ongoing. A family member of one of those children by the name of Leonie Giraud travelled around six hours to be there yesterday and this is what she said. So um, it's just about, you know, doing his job. He's always done his job. He's always gone that extra yard and that's why we love him, you know. He's, he's a one-in-a-million police officer and, you know, it's tall poppy syndrome at its best. Make you think about, you know, we, we've lost our detective. Our case is still open. So William Tyrrell's family, they've lost their detective. Leon, it seems to be these heartbroken families, although their loved ones' cases have remained unsolved, for them to turn out to support Gary really speaks volumes about his, I guess, advocacy for victims of crime. Yeah, and it's important to note that while some of these cases do remain unsolved, they were long-time cold cases, a lot of them, when Gary picked them up. And I've mentioned before that he is known for being one of the most dogged and determined investigators, and that's why he often does take on these cases that appear to be almost unsolvable and does all he can to solve them and to get justice for these victims. And that's why they value him so much, because they feel like he genuinely cares. And tell us about the Draper family. I believe the family members of Ian Draper, who disappeared in 2001, were also there. Yeah, his mother, Janet Draper, was also there to support Gary yesterday, and this is what she said. I, I can't really say too much. I'm just upset about the whole thing. Gary was the only one who worked on my case. Just, I just can't believe it. 
And just a reminder, we have approached the New South Wales Police Force and at this stage they say they cannot comment as investigations are continuing. We wanted to also take this opportunity during this podcast to talk about the trolling that William's family has experienced during the five years since he first disappeared. Not only are they dealing with the fact there's been no key breakthrough, there are no key suspects arrested, and we still have no clear idea exactly what happened to William, they are also experiencing this extreme online abuse and still very serious accusations that somehow they were involved. This is something they have been dealing with from day one and it's not just the foster family, it's also the birth family and they're all obviously dealing with the grief of what has happened and the trauma of losing William and not knowing what's happened to him and as a result of what they've been thrust into, they're now the subject of this vile online abuse and and being targeted by people who somehow think they're responsible or think that they have something to answer for. And it has just been this added layer of trauma that they have had to deal with that most of the public aren't aware of. Take us through some of the experiences they've shared with you. So they've told me that a certain group of people, particularly online, have not only been levelling awful claims at them, which I won't even repeat, um, accusing them of horrendous things, calling them horrendous things, Um, They've also been breaking the law. We've mentioned before that um, there are laws preventing the identification of Jane and Peter. Um, They are pseudonyms for William's foster parents who cannot be identified. But these people have been posting their identities online, which is against the law. They've been posting pictures of them online. And even further than that, they've been stalking them. There have been people driving past their house in Sydney, taking pictures and posting it online. There have been people sourcing photos of them, private photos, and posting them online. They've even been posting photos of William's foster grandmother, Jane's mother, and posting that online, which is all against the law and is is really scary for them. Because you're dealing with the trauma of a child missing, being right in the middle of an investigation, fighting to have your voice heard, trying to get your life back into some sort of view of normal, and then to to be subjected to people driving past our house and taking photos and publishing it all over Facebook. We have a right to privacy. We've been stalked. We have been accused of the most disgraceful things that you would never, ever accuse another person of, all because these people can sit in the privacy of their own homes on their computers and spew out stuff they know nothing about. It is unbelievable, the stuff that has been said about us and also William's parents. They have a right. We have a right. And I can't believe that there are people out there that think it's okay to hurl abuse across the fence around things they know nothing about. It's disgraceful. And I think it's such a blight on society. It's, it's just, it's terrible, absolutely terrible. It's hard to not buy into that because it just invokes all this emotion um, and it re-ignites re, uh, the trauma of William's disappearance. And it's incredibly hurtful. I might be naive, you know, call me naive, but I think at the end of the day, for another human being 
to say things that they have to us, and this is not just us, it's also William's family, to say the things that have been said to them and to us, I just think, I don't understand why people can't be held accountable for, for those types of comments. It's, it's absolutely shocking. And there was even one example that Jane and Peter shared with you that someone then contacted a receptionist at Peter's workplace. Yeah, so they've told me that um, a man called Peter's office and a receptionist answered and told her that he was a murderer. There were people that were phoning my husband's workplace telling the receptionist that he was a murderer. I mean, what on earth makes people think that that's okay? Can you imagine what it was like for the receptionist hearing that? For somebody at his workplace to have somebody phone up and say that, can you just imagine what it was like for her? It's just unbelievable. But it got to the point, it actually got to the point where my husband was getting calls from this particular individual threatening harm. I mean, what on earth makes people think that that's okay? We've been called the most disgusting things that you could ever imagine from people who claim to be um, advocates, um, who claim to be uh, fighting for William. It just, it, it, it's just, it's disgraceful. Those people should be completely ashamed of themselves. So someone in Victoria was actually charged over that particular incident, but that then led to Jane and Peter having to make a decision about how they handled them going forward. And that's really interesting because they were in the situation where what was happening was illegal and unforgivable, but do you put police resources into following this up or do you put those resources into William's investigation and finding out what happened? And that was the decision that they struggled with for quite some time because, like I said, this was so tough on them to have to cop this kind of abuse and they did feel threatened a lot of the time by these people who seemed determined to place blame on them and to make them somehow pay for what they believe they've done. Um, But they didn't want to take police away from investigating William. They didn't want to um, distract them from that mission so they had to make a decision and they spoke about that. But we, we needed to make a decision in terms of um, where, do we, where do the police spend their energy? Do they, have, do they spend their energy going into the social media um, abuse and bullying that we've received and also William's parents? Or do they focus on the investigation? And we were really torn. We had many conversations where we just said, you know what, we don't want the police focusing on investigating what's happening with us. We want the police to focus on what's happening with William. We made a decision that we were not going to ask police to investigate everything and all of those sorts of things because their focus needed to be on William, not on what was happening with us. So the priority was him. The priority wasn't us. But when my husband started getting these telephone calls, that's when it shifted. The explosion of social media obviously gives these people a vehicle to express their abuse and to make these horrible allegations. How do Jane and Peter cope with that? Because there is still the sentiment or allegations, you lost William. Yeah, and 
people feel very passionate about this case and to a degree they understand that, that, you know, and, and appreciate that people do feel very protective over William, but there's this misguided belief that um, somehow they know better than the police and they've somehow decided that Jane and Peter are responsible for what happened to William because he was in their care when he went missing. And as a result of that, a lot of them have taken it upon themselves to try and seek some sort of justice through this online abuse because of that. Even since we've been doing this podcast, we have witnessed some of the things people say about them ourselves and they are not only ignorant and completely unfounded but just completely heinous allegations against these poor people who are trying to get through the loss of their little boy and having to be called things that no one should ever say out loud. So how do they deal with that? They, do, do they not engage? Do they not look at those comments? They do try to ignore it and uh, not engage with it at all. Um, as I said before, they did have to make a decision not to pursue these people. Um, when it comes to our particular involvement in it, we obviously monitor that very closely, particularly when people are breaking the law by identifying them. But for them, they have learned to live with it. And unless it becomes a threat to them, they basically just let police do their job in finding out what happened to William. It's just, it is just awful. And the abuse that's been held, to, held towards William's mum and dad is just, it's just shocking. And the number of people that have got involved in this whole dialogue, it, it, I, I firmly believe there needs to be social reform. There needs to be some sort of, reform around social media because, you know, we get it in snapshots. You know, you hear stories of all the time of people taking their lives because they're being bullied. I mean, you know, fortunately for us, we've got, we've got strength. We can draw on each other to, to get us through these periods. But there are so many people that can't and people who have already got fragile mental health being subjected to these sorts of absolute Graceful bullying and stalking and trolling behaviour is just disgusting. I think it's take us, you know, we're an example. We are not the only people that this has happened to, I'm sure. I'm 100% convinced of that. But the bigger issue is it's a societal issue because the people who are doing this, and I, the, 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 the person who drove past our house, and took photos and posted on posted it on public Facebook pages. She and her her band of I don't know people thought it was funny, and they were all crowing over. They were all crowing over that she did this, and they thought it was the best thing in the world that she had done that because we needed to be exposed. What did we need to be exposed for? We did nothing wrong. People lose all sense of of, um, of of what's right and morally correct, all in a misguided belief that we are the ones who committed a crime against William. What we did was love him. As we mentioned, Leah, Gary is set to go back to court in September and the coronial inquest, the second part of that inquest, starts next week. 
So the week after this episode is released, the coronial inquest will begin, um, where we will start to hear some of the evidence against any potential persons of interest involved in this case, and we will bring you all those updates as it unfolds. That's coming up in the next episodes of Where's William Tyrrell? Where's William Tyrrell is produced and presented by Leah Harris in conversation with Natasha Belling. Produced and edited by Stuart Buckland. The recording and audio work by the 10 team of Mitch Willard, Bevan Tantu and Josh Pollock. Thanks to everyone in the 10 News team for their support and assistance. You can contact the show at whereswilliam at network10.com.au. If you have any information that may assist this case at all, please contact police or Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. If you would like to find out more about the Where's William campaign, please visit www.whereswilliam.org. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. <laughs>